So, we are working our way through the 13 principles of faith. Right? We did it one time quickly, we went through all 13, and then we go, we're going through them slowly. Um, <clears throat> tonight, we're going to devote the class to the second of the 13 principles of faith. Um, there will not be a complete class for each one of the principles, but this one there will be. Um, and the second of the principles is the concept of Achdus Hashem, the oneness of Hashem. Um, whereas last week, last class, we discussed the first principle, which was the entity of Hashem, or in Hebrew, the mitzvah of Hashem, that He exists. The second mitzvah, or the not mitzvah, the second principle of faith is the principle of belief, not only in the existence of Hashem, but in the unity and the oneness of that existence. And that, as we discussed the first time around, that that. Is, comes from the Pasuk, which is such a basic, famous uh, Pasuk, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echod. And that's where we express that emuna that not only Hashem is, but Hashem is one. Um, I don't think that I'm making a mistake when I would say that the concept of the oneness of Hashem is perhaps the concept most talked about in Hasidus. Um, I could be off, but it's definitely one of the highest, one of the things that are most talked about. There's untold amounts of mamarim that are all devoted to this concept of, the, it's a mitzvah and it's a principle of Aramuna that Hashem is one. But what does that really mean? What does it mean that Hashem is one? What are we, um, what are we, what are we saying by that? What, you know, what, what's the other option? That's what I'm looking for. What are we, uh saying isn't true. What are we proving? What are we being... What are we being shaylil? What are we... The word is looting. Um, okay, so there's this mitzvah to believe in the oneness of Hashem. What is the point of this idea? What oneness are, are we referring to? So tonight I want to discuss with you five angles to that. Five different angles, all of them true, all of them based on different levels of understanding of this mitzvah. The word I was looking for is, what are we negating? What are we negating when we're saying Hashem is one? Like, what's the other option? So what are we negating when we say, Achtus Hashem, the oneness of Hashem? So, of course, the simple, simplest um, thing, you know, you ask you know, child, what does it mean when you say there's only one Hashem? Is that there aren't two. That there aren't three Hashems. There aren't four Hashems. Hashemah Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. We believe that Hashem is the only God, and there is no two gods. Uh, in some other religions, that might perhaps be a fact that there might be multiple gods, multiple deities, definitely in idolatrous uh, religions, that there could be different idols and different gods and different deities. So on level number one, the super simple level is, what do we mean when we say there's one Hashem, that there is no two, there is no three, there is no four, there's only one Hashem. Um, famous joke that I've said here in the past about the guy who sent his uh, child to learn, uh, he was a you know, Jewish guy, but not very into Torah, and he didn't care much for religion, and uh, he was into math, and he wanted his child to have the best math class and experience possible, and the best math experience was happened to be in the local Christian school. So he wasn't so comfortable with it, but okay, so he sent the kid to the Christian school. And after a while, the kid comes home with ideas, and he starts talking about, you know, a trinity, and three things, and a God, and a holy ghost, and a holy this, a holy that. And now the father is getting nervous. He says, listen, he says, listen, Sammy, he says, there's only one God, and we don't believe in him. But, but there's no three. That's, that's, really, that's, that's ridiculous. You know, you know, we don't, there's one, we don't believe in him, but three is nonsense. That, that, that's just Irish guy, right? So... So that is, again, that's level one. There's one God, not two, not three. Interestingly, Rambam, and of course our class here is primarily based on Rambam, when the Rambam gives the 13 principles of the faith, and when the Rambam talks about the oneness, the mitzvah and the belief of the oneness of Hashem, he doesn't say that. He doesn't say that there's only one God and not two and not three. He says something deeper than that, which we're going to get to. And the reason he doesn't say that is because the concept of there being only one God is really already implicit in the first article of belief in Hashem. Because last week we discussed when the first uh, the, uh, the first principle is to believe in Hashem. It's not just believe that He exists, but as we discussed, to believe that His existence is the ultimate existence. And that everything else is only here because He made us. And He's the only one that's there 
um, because he has to be there. Right? You remember we talked about the difference how um, fire is hot versus water is hot. Right? That fire is hot because it is. Water is hot is because you know someone made it warm. So we exist because someone pushed us into existence, because someone creates us, but we could not exist. Hashem's existence is the only entity that's there because it has to be there. So when one truly understands that the existence of Hashem is the ultimate complete existence, then there can't be two of those existences. Hashem is the ultimate source where everything else comes from. So therefore, the, the simplest level of oneness of Hashem, that there's you know one God, not two, is true. Obviously, it's true. But Rambam... Um, says that the, the mitzvah and the amunah of the oneness of Hashem goes beyond that. And that brings us to the second step of our conversation. What's the second level? Okay, again, I said we're going to talk about five levels, so to be clear, level number one is super simple. There's one God, not two gods. Are you saying that the Rambam would say we don't need that level? Right. Ra- Rambam says that's already included when one understands that Hashem is the ultimate creator and the ultimate existence. That includes there isn't two of them. There's only one ultimate existence where all existence comes from. So Rambam says that's already included, sort of. So, so who, who's saying these five things? These are in Sfarim, all different types of Sfarim. Um, I'm putting them together. Um, the Tzamach Tzedek talks a lot about it in his Sefer of Derech Mitzvah A lot of what I'm going to talk about tonight comes from there. But this is just, a, you know, these are things that all the Sfarim talk about, or many Sfarim talk about. So there is truth to the first one too. It's not as if it's obviously true. There aren't two gods, and that's this the number one simple pshat Hashem Echad. There's not two Hashem's, and yet Rambam says there's got to be something deeper to this. It's not just that because that's self-evident based on the mitzvahs, the existence of Hashem. Okay, what does Rambam say? How does Rambam give us what's his halachic um, take on the oneness of Hashem? And he says something very interesting. So that's number two. So now, now we're going to say number two, and. He says that Hashem is one in a way that we don't comprehend because we always think of things and we imagine that everything is put together of a lot of different parts. Take a person, right? Um, Each one of us is one person. It's true. I'm one person. But as one person, I have a lot of different parts that, that that I am made up of, and all of us are physically. We have a lot of different parts that make us up. And for sure, emotionally and spiritually and intellectually, we have all different types of things going on, and they all come together to create one person. For example, we have body and soul. Those are really two entities that are brought together. We have um, intellect and emotion. Those are two entities that are brought together. So true, we're one. Every one of us is one person, and we count for one. But it's not a oneness that's, an, it's not a complete oneness. Because it's a oneness that's gathered together and put together from different parts and different entities. And that's as far as a human being. That's as far as anything in creation. Any piece of wood or any table or anything that we look at is really made up of a lot of different particles and a lot of different pieces. And they're made up well, and it might be seamless, and it might look wonderful, but it is made up of separate parts. Says Rambam, when, Hashem, when the Torah says Hashem Echod, Hashem is one, it doesn't just mean that he's one and not, there are two Hashems. It means that the oneness of Hashem is such that he is not put together of parts, even though he has everything in him. And that's the, that's the amazement of this, that it's not as, you know, he has the intellect and he has the emotions and he has the beauty and he has the grandeur, he has everything. And yet all of those things are part of a oneness that's not put together. The, the word in Hebrew for put together is, <coughs> excuse me, murkov, murkov, that's mem, vav, resh, kaf, base, murkov, um, which Probably the best translation from that in English that comes to mind is grafted. We graft things, we put them together in that way. Well, they and, say that about Esrog. Right, exactly. Uh-huh. An Esrog that's called, that's Murkov is puzzle. Uh-huh. Exactly, yeah. excellent. Right. In, in Halacha, that's a big thing. That's a big thing in the Esrog business. Or when you go, when you go, it's not pure. Right, in other words, in order for an Esrog to be kosher, it has to be 100% an Esrog. 
But if there's a little lemon that's, you know, was somehow in the seeds, that's invalid. It doesn't work. So therefore, the big thing with buying a srogim is who gives the hechsher? People don't know this. Um, just like food needs a hechsher, an estrog needs a hechsher because someone's got to keep an eye on that tree. Now, especially, um, this this can get off into a whole lecture that totally doesn't connect to what we're learning here, but especially in Chabad, the custom is that our estrogim are coming from Italy, and those trees and orchards are typically not in places that there's a whole lot of Jews there, and who knows, you know, the owner of that particular orchard, or the workers in that orchard, what they might be, you know, mixing in over there to make them more beautiful and more bigger and nicer, and that could very easily invalidate the whole estrog orchard. And that's why there's hechsherim, and like all hechsherim, and that's one of the reasons why they're so expensive, right? Because the real, you know, you want to have the real hechsher, so they got to have people there all year. Or coming in every day, or whatever, and it's a, it's an issue, it's an issue. And so, what is an esrog that's not kosher is called an esrog that's murkov, and that's the association to what we're learning here. An esrog that's put together, and Hashem is the opposite of murkov, and that's what achdus means. That's what the oneness of Hashem means, according to the Rambam. Now, what's wrong if Hashem was murkov? Why is that such a problem? Like, why is that such a big deal? Where would he be pieced together from? Ah, excellent, excellent. So, so, so this question, Rambam discusses, but not in the work that we're using. The, the, the basis of our shir is from the, as we said, from the Rambam's introduction in Mishnah, in the Tractate of Sanhedrin. But in another work of the Rambam, the Mora Nevuchim, the Guide to the Perplexed, he asks the question, he says, so what's wrong if Hashem is Murkov? Like, as long as Hashem has all of the attributes necessary and is running the world and everything is good, why is it such an important article for us to understand that he is not put together, that it's oneness? What's wrong if he has Zechal and Midos and Chachma and Bina and Das and, and Dibur and everything? What's wrong? Says Rambam, he says, for two reasons. And the first reason he says, exactly what you said, he says, if he's put together, someone had to put him together. Right? If, it's, if it's something that has to be assembled, who assembled it? Right? If we got, if we're sitting here by a table and this table is here and it's put together, we know someone put this together. Who put it together could be anyone, but someone's got to put together something. So if Hashem is the source of everything, so there's got to be there's no one who's here to put him together. That is his first point, and that's exactly the point that you made. The second point he says is also a very interesting philosophical point. He says, if it's put together, that means every part is on its own. Every part is limited. It's incomplete. It's only itself. It's not something else. You understand? If 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 there is seichel, which is wisdom, but wisdom is not emotions, then wisdom is lacking. Wisdom is limited to only being wisdom. It's not emotions. Emotions are emotions and not wisdom. Um, and the third thing, which is I don't know, power of speech, is a third thing, which is not either of them. Each one in and of itself is limited. It's limited and defined by what it is. So if Hashem is just the sum total of ten things put together and each one is limited, that means ultimately Hashem is limited. <coughs> it's, it's philosophical. But this is uh, the style of the Rambam in that work of Meir Nebuchim. He takes it apart in that way. And he says, we believe that Hashem is truly limitless. Limitless means that you can't define it to be A and not B and not C and not D. Because as soon as you're defining, definitions are creating boundaries. What are definitions? We say, this defines it, so it's that, it's not this. So if Hashem is Seichel, then he's limited, he's only Seichel. If he's Midos, Midos are not Seichel. If he's Dibur, that's not Seichel. So if Hashem is made up of 20 things and each one of them is limited, some total, he's limited. He's made up of a lot of limited things. And that is, that's what we're negating, says Rambam, that Hashem's oneness is the oneness that we cannot fathom, says Rambam. This is really not something, we can say the words, we can sort of understand what we're negating, but what it really is, is beyond us for the simple reason that we don't have it. In our world or in our experience, we don't have things that contain everything but are not made up of different parts. So the way this world works is everything is limited and everything is defined. And yeah, you could put a couple things together and have a lot of advantages, but each one is its own defined thing, and that's what we're saying Hashem isn't. So that is the second angle or the second uh, level 
in understanding the mitzvah or the belief of the oneness of Hashem. <clears throat> Before we go on to, to number three, this is um, this is behind a pretty well-known quote of the Rambam, which is actually mentioned in Tanya a couple of times, even close to the beginning of Tanya, and it's mentioned throughout a few times in Tanya. And it's a quote from Rambam. The Rambam talks about how Hashem's knowledge of things is uniquely different than our knowledge of things. And Rambam says the following. He says, when a human being knows something, there is really three things coming together. Every time we learn something, there's there's a union of three things. What are the three things? There's the human, who is the knower, so to speak, the, the knower of the new concept. There is the power of seichel, the power of intellect, with which we learn something. And then there is the concept that we picked up. So, although we may not recognize that all those things are going on, that's what's going on constantly. Like when we're sitting right here by the table and we're learning, so each one of us is a person, and we're reusing our seichel to learn a concept. So by the end of the class, hopefully those three things came together. The person with their seichel picked up the idea. Says the Rambam, that's how it is by human being. Because we are grafted. We're put together with a number of pieces always. But by Hashem, says Rambam, Hashem is his seichel and is the thing that he knows. Or, or to quote Rambam and Tanya, who ha yodea vihu Hamada, He is the knower. He is the power of intellect, and he is the thing that's being known. And all of them are one. And Rambam says, he says, I'm not going to say the whole quote in Hebrew. He says, this is something that we can't even say it with our mouths. In other words, we can word it, but we can't we can't get our hands around this because that's not the way we think. That's not the way we learn. That's not the way we are. But that's all part of that un- unity of Hashem. <clears throat> so I just keep thinking like if we're supposed to have a relationship with Hashem and there's like no possibility of us imagining something beyond us, beyond anything how do we do that? Like even visually like usually when we have a relationship or something we need to visualize something so like how do we do this? Okay, good question. Is that for a different class? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> what would, if we think that Moshe or Bain you know, like I'm saying, it's beyond the scope of this lecture, <laughs> which usually means I don't know. <laughs> it's another way of saying it. The one person would be like Moshe Rabbeinu who had any closeness or concept to okay. it. Okay, but at the same time, all of this being true, we are meant to have and are able to have a very true, deep, and intimate relationship with Hashem. With the understanding that ultimately he's beyond our grasp and beyond our understanding and his whole existence is something that we have no way of grasping. At the same time, we're given that unique ability to connect and connect deeply. So, you know, it is a conversation for a different okay. conversation. It's a, it is an interesting conversation. Let's try to remember to come back to that. Okay. okay? It's, all, it's hard to do both at the same time while we're talking about the greatness and the magnificence. Yeah. So also try to talk about that at the same time becomes more difficult. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, okay. I mean, it's such a, something to talk about. Okay. Okay. You don't have to go too far to the class. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is the reason why it says in Tanya that when we learn Torah, that Hashem is connecting to us. He says powerful words. It's a yichud nifla. It's an it's a incredible union that there is no such union in this world. That's what Tanya says. He says, when, it, when a person studies Torah, which Torah is Hashem's wisdom, and brings Hashem's wisdom into our minds, that's the ultimate union there, there, that there can be in this world. Because His wisdom becomes my wisdom, His ideas are in my mind, and therefore that's the ultimate union. So the question is asked, why, why is that the ultimate union? Every time when one studies an idea from another person, their wisdom is in, in the head of the studier. 
Right? Am I, am I being clear? Alter Rebbe says in Tanya, he says, the ultimate union in this world is Torah because when we study the Torah, Hashem's wisdom becomes in our mind and then we think about it, it becomes part of us. So the question is asked, but doesn't that hold true for every time that there's study going on from person A to person B? Per, person A has an idea, person B studies it, so person A's ideas are in person B's mind. Why isn't that an ultimate union? Right? In both cases, there's wisdom, and wisdom is going from A to B, and B is understanding the wisdom of A, so they're, 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 um, there's a union. Why is the union of Torah beyond any other union? So, so the answer is based on what we just learned. Because when person A is studying the wisdom of person B, he's not really connecting to person B, he's connecting to person B's wisdom. Right? Because wisdom is only a part of person B. Wisdom is not person B. Am I being clear? No, so so person, I don't know, I forgot who's A and B, but person A has this wonderful idea and he's sharing it with person B. So person B really understands the idea and really grasps it and it's wonderful. So are person B and person A one? No. An idea of that person I understand because the idea was never part of the person. But once we understand that Hashem, by Hashem, his wisdom is him. It isn't made up of two parts. So Torah is not just a nice you know, thought that Hashem had one day. You know, good idea. Torah is Hashem's wisdom, meaning it's Him. And Hashem gives us the ability to study the Torah and bring it into ourselves. So then, really, what we're doing is we're taking Hashem Himself into ourselves. And that's why that's the ultimate union. We don't have that ability. Person A is never within person B. It's just my idea. But Hashem's ideas are Hashem. And because of this idea of the of lack of, of being grafted from different parts, and therefore, that union is a total union. Okay, all of that is as far as level two about understanding this mitzvah of Achdus Hashem. So, in short, number one was the simplest. There's one God, not two. Number two is that this one God is made up of oneness um, and that all parts of him, and everything is there, and yet they're not there as separate entities grafted together, but with a oneness, again, that is beyond our comprehension. That is number two. Which brings us to number three. What is the third um, idea in understanding the oneness of Hashem? So, the third idea is a pretty well-known idea. And that is that not only do we believe that there's only one Hashem. That's a given. And that Hashem is one. Okay, that's a given too. But that there is no other power in the world. There is no other koach. Not just there is no other God, there is nothing else that ultimately has any power to give or not give, any decision-making in the process of what's going to happen in this world. In other words, in simple words, idolatry. Idolatry, as we know it, is uh, people serving other deities. Where did idolatry come from? Where did idolatry start? After all, if Hashem created the world and the first people saw that and were there and, and conversed with Hashem, so who came up with idolatry? How did it start? How did it get off the ground? So Rambam, again we go back to Rambam, discusses this and tells us exactly what happened. Idolatry didn't start in one day. It didn't start with, let's serve idols. How did idolatry start? It started with one pretty simple mistake, which is, sure, Hashem created the world, and sure, Hashem is ultimately in control, but he has ministers. And those ministers minister. Who are the great ministers? The sun, the moon, the stars, the constellations. And therefore, if you have a king in a country and the king has ministers, <coughs> it's sometimes helpful to be nice to the ministers. Well, what's a minister exactly? How do they define minister then? Minister is... Um, not people in this in this uh, form, right. creations yeah. that Hashem created uh -huh. in order that they should be the ones that should give warmth, light, heat, and so on and so forth. They have power. Uh -huh. Exactly. Hashem empowered His creations. Mm -hmm. So if the sun is this entity that gives light, then maybe it's good to be on the good side of the sun. And let's, uh, you know, do nice things for the sun. Let's write nice songs about the sun and praise the sun and thank the sun. <coughs> After all, if the, if the king has ministers and the ministers gives, you say thank you, and then you send the minister a little gift, 
Because, after all, the minister has given me something. Says Ramba, and this began <coughs> with a grandson of Adam, and his name was Enosh. And in the times of Enosh is when they began this concept. That yes, Hashem is the creator, and yes, he made the sun, moon, and stars, etc. But they attributed, attributed a certain level of power, of decision-making, to various entities that were seen in creation as powerful entities. Be they the sun, moon, and the stars, be they the sea, whatever it was. You know, massive, great things. Now, what happened is A leads to B, B leads to C. It started with that, but then more and more powers and more and more, uh, I don't know, stories and whatever were attributed to these ministers. And as the generations moved on, people only remembered the ministers. And then came a generation, like a, it's the story when you go around the table, you pass a message, what's that called? Uh, telephone. Broken telephone. By the time there was six generations later, there was no Hashem. There was just these were gods. And that's when you have many gods. So the initial... Avodah didn't start from idol worship. It started from attributing power, attributing koach to other entities. Now, why were they wrong? Well, it does make sense to a degree. There is a concept of ministers and, and people who, or people or entities that can be go-betweens. Be the answer is they're wrong because that's not it's not the truth. Hashem didn't give the sun any decision-making powers about giving light or not. The sun is, to quote Chazal, <coughs> Merely kigarzan biyad hachotzev. A garzan is an axe. It's like an axe in the hand of the woodchopper. Exactly, it's in the tishrei davening. That's correct. So if a if a woodchopper chops wood and does a wonderful job, does anyone start praising the axe? No, that's a wonderful axe, right? What's up to the axe? The axe has nothing to do with it. The wood chopper who's wielding the axe and he's chopping the wood. So Hashem is giving light using a sun. And Hashem is giving warmth using a sun and giving whatever through constellations and giving whatever through the sea and so on and so forth. But they have nothing to do with any decision making in the process whatsoever. And that was their big mistake. So they didn't feel they were being idolatrous. They felt they were being respectful. But the MS is that that's like respecting the X. There was a photographer who was taking very good pictures. So someone said, wow, you must have a wonderful camera. So the photographer was very insulted. Went to the house, the person was cooking good food. He said, you must have wonderful pots. Right? If you, if you start attributing, you know why the photographer has a good camera? He says, okay, you're a good cook because you have good pots. Right? When we forget that the pot is only a vehicle, and the camera is only a vehicle, and the sun is only a vehicle, then the praise and the accolades and everything goes only to Hashem. So therefore, the third um, explanation, and this is a very actual practical explanation, in understanding the oneness of Hashem, is not only there's one God, not two gods, and not only that there's that one God is not made above different parts, but that that one God is the only koach, the only one that determines what's going to be and when's going to be and how it's going to be. And anything else that we put our trust and, th- and thoughts into is ultimately lacking in this fullness of Achdus Hashem. Why did Hashem give um, Koyach to sorcerers? Like, you know, in Mitzrayim, there were magicians, and then with Bilam, and then like people say that like in certain parts of Brazil, there's witches. I mean, I don't even know, like nowadays... Like, why does Hashem give power to them? Well, there are spiritual powers in this world. And like almost anything in this world, when you tap into it, you can use it positive or negative. Spirituality is a power. Like, just like anything. Just like, why did Hashem create guns that can kill? So guns don't have to kill. Guns can also be for protection. Or for and Metal in general doesn't have to be a gun, right? Mm-hmm. Hashem creates in this world all types of things, physical as well as spiritual. And it's up to us, up to our choice, what are we going to do with those powers that we have? So Bilam was given great spiritual powers, the same type of spiritual powers that Moshe Rabbeinu was given. And Moshe Rabbeinu used it to become the holiest and finest of people, and he used it to become the most corrupt. But that's the way of Hashem, to give us materials and, and, and make it ultimately up to us what we're going to do with it, how we're going to use it. But he, right? gave, like he gave it to non-Jews. He, he gave it in the world. In the world. He gave it in the world. And we have, so today people are in general less spiritual. So therefore we have less access to spiritual powers of any type, mm. holy or non-holy. 
But every gift that Hashem gives, technology, is an, an amazing gift of Hashem. Um, maybe just, maybe in the olden days, if they look at this, they would think this is called sorcery and magic. And I don't think they would be wrong. Some people do with it, it is. So it is. It's, a ma- it's magic and it's a gift. Now, what can you do with it? The greatest, most wonderful things and the most destructive things. Right? Like every gift that Hashem gives us. Hashem gives us the ultimate choice of what to do with the gifts of creation, physical or spiritual. You just, when you go to SoundCloud to listen to your um, lectures and stuff, there's such garbage also. You mean know, the other stuff, other on, stuff there. on there. Not, yeah, I'm, I'm just saying, to get to you. No, not, no, but, but there's, no, but there's. We have to go through to get yeah, to you. Yeah, there's it's such pictures and things. Yeah, I didn't realize that there's other people who use the SoundCloud as well. I mean, that's <laughs> so silly. <laughs> I thought so. That's what they told me. Anyhow, but yes, obviously, case in point. Case in point. So that's the answer to that question. Um, this idea is a very, very powerful, practical idea that relates to so many different things. Like, for example, work. Right? What happens in life all too often is that we start looking at our work as the source of our success. Which really is like saying the sun is the source of my light and whatever. As soon as we attribute an independent koach that, you know what, I have to do ABC in order to be successful. And Hashem is really not part of that plan because, after all, I know Hashem created the world, but He created the world and said, if you work, you're going to make money. So if I work more, I'll make more money. And if I work less, I'll make less money. And little by little, the work becomes my Hashem. I start putting my trust in my abilities. That's where I'm going to get my bracha from. But real emuna in achtus Hashem is the understanding and the recognition. That yes, we got to work, because Hashem said so. But the ultimate bracha doesn't lie in our workplace, but in Hashem. And if one really has that attitude, so one never says, you know what, I have a big question. Should I go to work, or should I daven? Should I go to work, or should I keep Shabbos? Because there seems to be a contradiction. Work can only be a contradiction to listening to Hashem if work is its own independent entity. So there's a big, yes, work can only be a contradiction to serving Hashem is if, that can only be if work is an independent source, an independent entity for my parnasa. So there's Hashem. Hashem would love me to keep Shabbos, but I got to make a living. So I got to go to work because my living comes from work. So work gives me my living and Hashem gives me Shabbos. Where do I go? And that's a big problem. So that's a tough one. So some people say, you know what? It's true. Work will give you your living and Hashem will give you Shabbos. I'll go with Hashem, not with work. That's, that's very nice. But that's not, the, that's not the truth of Achtos Hashem. And those, that might be commendable. Wow, you're giving up your living for Hashem. Very special. But really, it's not the real understanding. The real understanding is that a Yid says, my source of Parnasa is Hashem. Period. If that's my source of parnasa, then he is where I'm going to get it from. Anything else, if it fits in with Hashem's plan, great. Because Hashem wants me to go to work. So if the work fits with Hashem's plan, that's what I should be doing. But if Hashem says, no, I don't want you to do that job. So then my source of parnasa is not in that job. Because my parnasa comes from Hashem. So that this concept of Ahtus Hashem, this third idea, to truly understand and believe and think about. Like all ideas of Amuna, we have to think about them to make them part of us. To truly understand and believe and remember that nothing has an independent entity, an independent source. The sun is not deciding to give me life. My work is not deciding to give me Parnasa. Um, all the different things and ideas that I have, they're not the source of my bracha. They're vessels for bracha. The sun is a vessel for bracha, and the moon is a vessel for bracha, and work is a vessel for bracha, and so on. It's vessels. When we always remember that they're vessels, and our amuna is that Hashem is the one who feeds all those vessels, so then we treat them as merely as vessels. And that's the story. There's so many. That's the story of. There's like we can just carry, get carried away with this for the rest of the class easily. But that's, for example, the story of Purim which we discussed in this house more than once, that what's, what happened in Purim, the people felt, 
What's the source of our security? Achashverosh. So Hashem said, don't go to the feast. The Mordechai said, don't go to the feast. But we got to be secure. So we went to Achashverosh. So what did Hashem say? Okay, that's your source? Okay, have a good time with it. Right? And suddenly you have the greatest decree ever. Because we forgot. We, 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 for, we, we forgot, which is so easy to forget, that everything is really coming from one place, not from um, those, middle, those vessels in the middle. By the way, there's one, there is one exception to this. There's one place where Hashem says, you know, I have a little, I have a partner. And in that place, we're allowed to respect that partner. Who's that? Us. Well, respect ourselves? No, not. Didn't he? That's not it? Yeah, I mean, you're thinking in general we partner with Hashem, but I'm talking about something specific, and that is the mitzvah of honoring and respecting our parents. One of the Ten Commandments. Why do we honor our parents? Because they're our parents. Because they gave birth to us and they brought us up. And the question is, why? but we don't honor the sun even though it gives us light. We're not allowed to honor the sun. We're not allowed to bow to the sun or honor the sun or send the sun a gift because it's giving us light. And we can't honor the moon. We can't honor the sea that's giving us water. Why can we honor our parents for giving birth to us and for bringing this up? Because they're partners with Hashem. So why are they partners more than the son is partners? There's one word. It's, it's an innocent question. We all know the answer, but there's a one word answer. Because our parents have Bechira. They decided to partner with Hashem and have us. The son has no Bechira in giving us light. Nothing in this world has a Bechira in giving the bracha that it gives it. My workplace doesn't have the Bechira to give me my work. My parents, Hashem said, parents get married and bring up a child, and that's par- they're partnering with me, and therefore we owe them, we don't serve our parents, but we honor our parents, and we thank our parents, and we respect our parents because of their being in that level partners of Hashem. Of course, ultimately, life and death comes from Hashem and not from parents, and ultimately the bracha comes from Hashem. Yet, in some way, because they were... My point is, parents are more active participants in giving us our being than the sun and the moon and the stars and the sea is. Because they don't have Bechira. They're like the axe, as we said earlier, in the hand of the, uh, <coughs> the woodchopper, as the, as the tefillah says, versus parents who Hashem um, gave a mitzvah and made it up to them to have children and to bring us up. And therefore Hashem says, I do want you not to serve, but to honor and show that sense of appreciation to our parents, because in some small way they are considered partners to Hashem. Again, unlike the any other idol or constellation or sun and so moon and so on. Nobody, there are no other mitzvah to honor anybody thing? Not in the same way. I mean, there's the concept of honoring um, out of deference for something. Like... Um, there's a concept king, of, yeah. of no, that. so that's because a king has a certain power a certain power he's given there is Som Tassim Alech um, he's given a certain level of prestige but not because he's the source of our bracha now, when it comes to parents we're saying we, know, we don't say that the king is the shutaf with Hashem in providing for the kingdom <coughs> we won't find such a concept there's a concept that a king has to be a leader and as a leader he has to have a full um, level of honor and respect but we don't look as a king as a shutaf with Hashem. The only time we'll find that concept of I'm honoring someone because they partnered with Hashem in giving, that's parents, parenting, right? Okay, which tells, which is just a little on a little sidebar about the importance and the greatness of parenting and the great responsibility invested in parenting is that this is the only ones that Hashem says, no, let's do this together. Yeah. There was controversy about whether to say the bracha for Trump and right. the Jewish thing. Right. That they had. Mm. That's correct. Okay, I want uh, our time is short, and I want to uh, cover. I want to talk at least in short about the other two, the final two points of Achdus Hashem. Right. Um, in short summation, we talked about there's one God, not two. We talked about that Hashem is not made up of parts, not grafted, and we talk up. We talked about that nothing else has a koach outside of Hashem. That's what we talked about so far. Let's talk about two more. One is from the Zohar. Zohar, the foundational book of the, all the esoteric parts of Torah, of Kabbalah, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. And he writes that the mitzvah of Achdus Hashem is really spelled out in a very famous pasuk, which says, Hashem hu ha'elokim. Right? 
um, famously at the end, very end of Yom Kippur, um, high, highest moments of Yom Kippur, we call out, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad, then we say, Baruch Shem Kod Malchus Vad, and then we say, Hashem Hu Elokeinu, we say seven times. Um, Hashem Hu Elokeinu is written in the Navi by the story of Elio Hanavi by Mount uh, Carmel, when he, Elio Hanavi, debated and ultimately was victorious over the 400 prophets of idolatry, and then all the Jewish people that were there called out, Hashem Hua Elokim, Hashem Hua Elokim. What, is it, what do the words mean? So, so I'm sorry, so the Zohar says, Hashem Hua Elokim, this is the secret of the oneness of Hashem. The words of the uh, Zohar is Aramaic. It says, Raza, the word Raz is the secret. Raza is the secret of Achtus Hashem, the oneness of Hashem, lies in these three words, Hashem Hua Elokim. What, would that, what does that mean? What does Hashem Hua Elokim mean? So in short, Hashem is the name that's the Yud and then the He and then the Vav and then the He is the primary name of Hashem. Elohim is the secondary name of Hashem. These are the two. Hashem has many names, but the two primary, the two uh, most often used names of Hashem are the Yud Vavke and the Elohim. In in very short order, what do they represent? Those two names. So the name Yud Vavke, the name of Hashem, represents revelation, the revelation of Hashem, the Revelation of Hashem's infinite nature. Elohim is commonly used to represent concealment, nature, limitation. That's also part of Hashem. Just like Hashem operates with the, you know, the vast revelation and infinite revelation of Hashem, Hashem operates with Elohim, which is the the um, the concealed and the limited, and the contracted, the natural form of Hashem. What is that? Why is it natural? It's what we call nature. Notice when we see the world running in front of us every day, yeah. when we see trees growing, when we see the sun rising and the mm-hmm. sun setting, we say that's nature. Right. And what's nature? Okay. Nature is Hashem acting in a nature way. When we see miracles... Crazy miracles, like the Torah tells us that I don't know the uh, the sea split, or in our life perhaps sometimes we'll we'll perceive something that's like wow that's crazy. It's a miracle. We say oh wow that's Hashem. Mm-hmm. So these are two hands of Hashem. There's Hashem being the revealed Hashem, the unlimited Hashem, and then there's Hashem operating under the guise of nature. And there are things that are limited, and things are natural, and things are normal, and everything seems to be covered up, right? So. In very, very general terms, Hashem operates in two ways. Now, those two ways have names. Um, a typical name for them in Kabbalah and Hasidus would be the level of Mimale Kal Almin. Literally, that means the levels of Hashem that fill all worlds, versus Sovev Kal Almin, the level of Hashem that transcends all worlds, surrounds and transcends. So, the level that fills the world is the comes from the name Elohim, and that's the, again, limited, natural, defined, concealed arm of Hashem. And then there is Sovev, the transcendent levels of Hashem, where the miraculous comes from, where the holy comes from, where, you know, those things that we clearly perceive as holy and special. So, in a very, very general breakdown, Hashem operates on these two levels, of the level of Yudke Vavke, the, again, the infinite level of Hashem and the level of Elohim, the concealed, finite, contracted level of Hashem. So what does Hashem Hu Elohim mean? Now that we know what Hashem is and what Elohim is. So when we announce at the end of Yom Kippur, Hashem Hu Elohim, what are we essentially saying? That those two are one. Contrary to what we feel and perceive and sense, that there is godliness and there is concealment. There is holy and supernatural, and there's nature. So when we're saying Hashem Elohim, what we're expressing is that they're not in any way two separate entities or two different powers. They're two hands of Hashem. They're two parts of Hashem. Hashem can act this way and act that way. They're in no way contradictory, just like my right hand can't be a a contradiction to my left hand. One doesn't hold back or block, or take away the other. There's no parts in Hashem. And which goes back to not being any parts in Hashem. So from the Zohar's perspective, what does Achdos Hashem mean? 
that the different forms of the way Hashem deals with and reveals Himself in the world are all seamlessly one. I'll give a practical, I'll give a practical example where this is so important. You know, I think we're going to tonight stick with four and do number five next week. It's just because I could try to do it fast, but it's too, it's too beautiful to, to just try to cram it into two minutes. So instead, let, let, me, just, let me finish with a, a beautiful, famous story that deals directly with this fourth idea. Very famous story, the story of the spies. Everyone knows this, Moshe Rabbeinu sends the spies to go to the land of Israel. And they come back and says, they say, no way, God can't do that. Um... God will not be able to bring us into the land of Israel. He won't be able to conquer the land. And amazingly, not just they said that, but all the Jewish people have fell for it. Not all, but right. we always say not the women and not the tribe of Levi, where I come from. So we're, we're all good. Yeah, we're all good. It was, it was them. But they all fell for it, which made no sense. How could they all fall for it? I mean, they just saw, these are people that saw miracles like we never can even imagine. All the ten plagues, and Kriyas Yamsav, and Matan Torah, and everything. Eh, Hashem can't conquer Israel. How does it make sense? How does it make sense? So what's the answer? So I'll just say, so what's the, what, it, what do we typically say when we uh, learn Hasidus? Why didn't they want to go into Israel? Because they wanted to live in the desert, and a holy life, and a spiritual life. That's all good. But that's not what the Pasuk says. The Pasuk says they didn't believe Hashem could take them into Israel. Mm-hmm. But how could they not believe Hashem would take them into Israel? It doesn't make any sense. So the Rebbe explains very beautifully, and the truth is, once you think about it, it makes so much sense. It's, they said, of course Hashem could do all the miracles in the world. Of course. If Hashem wants, He can wipe, you know, wipe off all the countries of Israel in a second. But there's a problem here. When we were in the desert, then our life was miraculous. We lived off the Mon, we had the, the uh, well of Miriam, we had the heavenly clouds. In a miraculous form of existence, Hashem could do whatever He wants. But now we're going into Israel. In Israel, Hashem told us there's not going to be mun and there's not going to be clouds and there's not going to be the water of Miriam. It's going to be business as usual. Nature is taking over. Oh, nature is taking over? Then Hashem can't do it. Naturally, this can't happen. So as the Rebbe tells us, of course the spies and the Jewish people said, of course Hashem can do miracles. Yeah, when Hashem is in miracle mode. But Israel's not miracle mode. Israel's nature mode. That's what he told us. The whole desert thing was a nice 40 years of miracle mode. But now we're going to normal. If we're going to normal there, you know, what do you want? Then then nature takes over. If nature takes over, we can't do this. Hashem can't do this when nature takes over. So what was their mistake? Their mistake was in differentiating between Hashem and Elohim. They said, yeah, of course there's Hashem. There's a supernatural. Of course there's a supernatural. Great when we're doing supernatural. But now we're doing nature. If we're doing nature, then we got to come to it from the natural point. What they did, what they were missing is Achtos Hashem. They're missing the understanding that nature and supernature, I'm sorry? They missed the point that Hashem is in charge of both of them. Exa- that both of them are two arms, two parts of Hashem that are seamlessly connected. So if Hashem said we're going in, it doesn't matter, nature or not nature. Hashem will make it work through nature. Hashem is not limited by nature. Nature is part of Hashem. Supernatural is also part of Hashem. So why is it even called nature and supernatural? Because from our perception. Because the way we perceive so things is very is different. Like, it's like nothing major, no big deal. So right. The, it's the opposite of, oh my gosh. Exactly, miracles. exactly. But really, nature is also just the same as miracles, just not as often. Uh, okay. <laughs> no, no. But na- it's, no, you're right. Like, no, you're 100%. You outside and something, like, I, this happens to me in preschool. Like, I'll be showing the kids a book like that's photographs of something in nature. Mm-hmm. And I'll say, it's amazing. Look at how Hashem made that's this right. flower. That's right. The colors are not painted by somebody. That's right. A, like Hashem really made this this color. So why is that nature and not a miracle? Because we don't see that. Be- because take that book into the science class across the street and say that's don't be silly. That's because these pigments lead, lead into that, and that's because that thing happened. Therefore, and therefore it happens to be that color. Why are you saying it's Hashem? Right? <laughs> I, I mean, I'll I'll I'll, 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 I'll never forget it was. I have to bring it into the sense. 
it was it, it, it was in Machon Alta one summer, and I was saying I was talking about that you know Hashem is concealed in this world, and one of the girls picks up and says Hashem is concealed. Rabbi, what are you talking about? Where is Hashem concealed? I say, what do you mean? A birth, a growth, a tree. She says, and I'm like, yeah, but some people. She says, you know, it, it became a little odd the argument. I'm the rabbi, and I'm telling you it's concealed. And but. And I remember, and we finished that class, and she sort of said, fine. And then, uh, like a week later, it came up in class again. I mentioned, like, concealment. She's like, concealed? She just couldn't she couldn't get her hands around the concept. Which is fine. But the fact is that in the perception of most people, there is the daily, daily grind, and there's the things that are supposed to happen. In fact, what's the Hebrew word for nature? The Hebrew word, teva. The word teva also means, in Hebrew, to be drowned, covered over. Tubu biyamsuf. It says that the Egyptians drowned in the sea. The word teva is litvo as to drown. Nature is where Hashem is covered over. That's exactly what it is. So if once we understand that truly, exactly as you're saying, nature is only one of Hashem's work clothes, one of his ways of doing things. So does it make sense to say, Hashem, you know, you can do this as long as we're not doing nature, as if nature is an, it's an own independent thing. That was what the Miraculous mistake was. And that can very easily be our mistake also. That sometimes we feel, you know, well, miracle can help, but in a non-miracle way, we're stuck. That's because the non-miracle becomes something separate than the miracle. So if a miracle will happen, it makes sense. But in a non-miracle way, we're stuck. Especially look at illness or something. Right. We need a miracle. We need a miracle. Because naturally, we're finished. That's because somehow we have that in our mind. There's the natural and the supernatural, and Hashem might come and he'll, he'll shine through a supernatural light into the natural and fight the natural. It's 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 that it's that thing. It's where we're buying into that difference. And Hashem Hu Elokim is our proclamation that it's exactly the same. It's the same entity. It's coming from the same place. It's going to the same place. It's the same power, powering both of them. And that's Hashem Hu Elokim. Says the Zohar, Hashem Hu Elokim is Achdus Hashem. And that's number four. Is this one of the Sheva Mitzvahs B'nai Noah? No. Wow. No. And that's a great question. We're going to deal with that next week. Oh. In other words, when it comes to B'nai Noah, non-Jewish people, they have a mitzvah to believe in Hashem. Mm-hmm. They don't have the mitzvah of belief in Achdus of Hashem, mm-hmm. the oneness of Hashem, which is a very interesting concept. And again, so next week, actually, not next week. Um, I have to tell you, next week, I, we're, we can't have the class. Let me just turn this off. That's not important here. Um...